Joshua and the chapter number 8. And this just re-read, sorry, that verse number 1 again. So Joshua chapter 8, rereading that verse number 1. And it says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai, and his people, and his city, and his land. Let's bow together in prayer. And still our hearts now before the Lord, and seek his blessing upon the preaching of his word. Our Father, and our God in heaven, we thank thee already for the spirit of praise that has been on our hearts to sing praises unto thee and to uplift and sanctify thy holy name. Lord, we pray now that as we come to the preaching of thy word, that thou give us ears to hear, that thou give us a heart to understand what thou would even have to say to us. Lord, I pray that thy spirit would be in the midst of us, that thou would help us to apply our hearts unto a spirit of reverence, that we, O Father, would not be distracted by thoughts of the world or thoughts of circumstances, but our hearts would be ready to receive thy precious word. Lord, I pray that thou would work now. I pray that thou would bless. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Something you'll notice when you read the book of Joshua is the great contrast that there is between Joshua chapter 7 and Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 7, or chapter 8 rather, is a wonderful chapter of victory. Israel have a victory over their enemies, something they had experienced before earlier in the book over Jericho. They had known the Lord blessing them and directing them, and they had known the Lord helping them then to overcome their enemies. In Joshua chapter 7, we might see a surprising scene, especially when you read that chapter in the light of what is said in Joshua 1. You can imagine, humanly speaking, how the Israelites felt. In Joshua 1, the Lord had said he would be with them. The Lord had said he would undertake for them in this campaign and that their enemies would not be able to stand before them. And yet they come to Joshua chapter 7, they go up against a small city called Ai, and they are caused to retreat and defeat. And we see then a great scene where the people are experiencing loss and death, they're experiencing defeat, they are experiencing a time of mourning, and Joshua is perplexed. He comes before the Lord and he asks this question, Lord, Why have you brought us over this Jordan? Why have you brought us into the land of Canaan? Have you brought us into that land to destroy us? And he really uh, leads it ultimately to the glory of God. Because he says, Lord, what will thou do for thy great name's sake? If we are destroyed, it's going to have an effect on your name and your ability to fulfill your word and to fulfill your promises. Something we have as an advantage when we read the Bible is that sometimes we know what is going on. In Joshua chapter 7, we know that Achan had sinned against the Lord. We knew that Israel had no right to go forward in battle. We knew they were not prepared, that they were not ready. We knew that the Lord was angry with them because of their sin. 
And yet, they did not know that. So what happens, we know very well. The sin is dealt with. Achan is cast out, his family, everything that belongs to him is cast out and, and God places a memorial there for his people to remember what happens when they dabble and trifle in sin. In chapter 8, we come here and what do we see? We see the Lord coming to Joshua again and he says, Joshua, yes, you, you stepped out of a great time of failure. You stepped out of a, a great time where you were caused to draw back before your enemies. But the Lord says, I want you now to stand up as the, the leader of this nation. I want you to step forward. I want you to march on. And I want you to continue on in the victory that I promised for you. This uh, teaches us a, a wonderful lesson about the Lord. The Lord sometimes in the Christian life, he, he sees our sin. He chastises us. He, he brings his hand against us in order to humble us. But then when he does this, he always says, it's time to get up and it's time to go on and it's time to march forward in the victory of the cross again. Maybe I'm speaking to a believer and you look back at your life this week, you meditate upon how you've lived before the Lord, and you say to me, I realize that I have been in sin. I've committed sin against the Lord. I've spoken, acted, or thought in a way that is not right and is not proper in the light of Scripture. You say these things, and you're very aware of them, and yet maybe this is something that is constantly and consistently happening. You say to me, I, I'm falling into the same snares. I'm falling into the same sins. I, I'm getting down the same paths time and time again. And no matter how much I, I, I try to overcome it and get away from it, I always seem to fall back. Yet the Lord comes to you and he says the reality is that at this point in time in your life, you've begun to let yourself get into a place of bondage. He says, you began to let sin have a, a preeminence in one area of your life and the implications are drastic for your Christian walk and for your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to you this morning, it's time to confess it and truly repent of it. It's time to, to really realize what this is doing to you and how this is affecting you. And it's time to determine in your heart by the grace of God to have the victory over this sin step out and to leave it behind you. Maybe there's a believer here this morning and in your life you fell into a very serious sin. It was a very public affair. People perhaps know what you've done. They know what you've done in the past. They know how you've marred and affected your testimony. It is something that happened before the eyes of so many people. And it had far-reaching implications toward others. You could say to me this morning, there's a time in my life where I committed sin and I made a mess. And it affected me greatly. Yet this morning you come to the house of God, you say to me, I've repented of my sin. I began to walk in newness of life. And yet it seems to be that you're living in the shadow of it. 
You say to me this morning, I, I can't forget about it. It always comes to my mind. It discourages me. It robs me of my joy that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's this constant feeling of, of regret and guilt and all of these things. And, and I say to you, that, that remains. That's going to hinder you as well. And I say, why would you remember something that the Lord no longer remembers? That the Lord has forgiven you about And the Lord says it's time to walk away from that. It's time to remember it no more. It's time to walk in newness of life. It's time to get out of the shadow of it and remember that he tells you to walk forward in the enjoyment of all your gospel privileges. What are we seeing here? We're seeing here that as Israel sinned, there was a way for them to go back. There is a way for them to march forward. There is a a way for them to step out of failure. We see the command of God in Joshua 8 verse 1. He says, arise, go up to Ai. He does not say, remain where you are. He does not say, dwell on that sin, dwell on what has happened. He says, it's time to get up and it's time to go. That sin's dealt with. It's time to march forward in my will and on to victory. And so what do we see here with Israel? We see them stepping out of out from failure and stepping forward to victory. That's what I I want to speak about this morning as we consider a a few things in Joshua chapter 8. Stepping out from failure, stepping on to victory. The first thing I want you to see is the hindsight that is required. The hindsight that is required. It has been said that hindsight is the best foresight. So often the Lord uses the failures of his people to teach us vital lessons about how we ought to act in the future. God says that we can learn from our failures, we can learn from our past mistakes, we can learn from all of these things in order that we might understand how we ought to act in the future. You think of what it says in Romans 15.4. It says, For whatsoever th- what." For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. And you go to the Old Testament, certainly, don't you? And you see the saints of God, and you, you see them in their sin, and you see them in their failure. And these things come very clearly before us. The Lord does not try to cover them up. The Lord shows us very clearly how his saints fail, and how they went into sin, and how they marred their testimonies in so many ways. Yet he says, I've done this that you might learn. That you might not fall into the same mistakes. That you might learn how to take a better course and a better path in life as I work in you and as I try to transform you into the image of Christ. And so hindsight can be a wonderful thing to teach us. And as we come to Joshua chapter 8, there are a few things the Lord would teach you this morning. Even through his precious word, he said the first thing he would teach you is that we must always know the mind of God. In Joshua chapter 8, something Israel and Joshua were certain of was the mind of God. We see the language used in this chapter. Read verse 1 at the start of that verse. It says, And the Lord said unto Joshua. Verse 18 we read, And the Lord said unto Joshua. Again, as Joshua begins to command the people, and as he says to them, you're to go forward, you're to uh, invade Ai again, he says in verse 8, according to the commandment of the Lord shall ye do. 
And something we see very clearly then is that the people knew the mind of God because they heard the voice of God. And so Joshua was able to say to the people, this is the Lord's command and this is what he wants. This is something they did not know in chapter 7. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 7, just a few pages back, or a page back even, and read verse 2 to 5 with me. Joshua 7, verse 2 to 5. And listen to these words, and you're going to see something here by implication. It says, And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth on the east side of Bethel, and speak unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai, and they returned to Joshua, and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men. Now you notice here that Israel are plotting and they're planning. They're bringing a plan together as to how they're going to go up against Ai. But something we see here by implication is that not once in this episode did they seek the Lord. They did not pray. The Lord did not speak to them. And so they went forward without the voice of God and without the word of God. And as they went to battle, then they were not prepared and we see this disaster. And God teaches you very well this morning that if you step outside as well, if you take a step that is the wrong step and it's not according to his word and not according to his voice speaking to you, then it will end in disaster for you. Because if it's not God's will for you, then it is not right. And so we must always see that failure in the Christian life can be Tied to this great truth that we have stepped outside the will of God. And I say to you, every step you seek to take in life. Hey, this step might seem insignificant in your eyes. It might seem like a decision that is not major in the light of the whole. And yet God says in every step you must know what I want. And so as we plan ahead... As we make decisions about ourselves, our families, our futures. Have we ever asked this question, does the Lord want this for me? Is this the Lord's will? Is it his mind? And do we ask that question, Lord, what is the step you want me to take? Because the step we might be taking might not be what the Lord wants. It's very easy for us to try and justify that and to spiritualize it. And to say, well, I, I think this is the way I ought to go. And then just open the Bible and there we'll get a verse. And I tell you, you'll get a verse if you want a verse. If you want a verse for the Lord to confirm your will, you'll get one. I promise you that. You'll get it. A phrase, some object, word, you'll get it. But I ask you to be sincere and say, Lord, is this your will? It's so vital and it's so important. It's important for us all because we must not act contrary to his word. And how do we find then the will of God and his word? I think a very helpful verse is Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Romans 12 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
Now, the first part of this verse speaks about being conformed to this world or not being conformed to this world. And so we say that contrary to worldliness is the will of God. And he speaks about that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, God's will for our life is perfect, perfect. It ought to be acceptable. It is good. It always ought to be that way because sometimes we can be so stubborn in our own minds that the will of God seems unpleasant to us. Yet it should always be acceptable. It should always be perfect. And how does Paul, who wrote these words, how does he say we know the perfect, the good, acceptable will of God? He says by being transformed by the renewing of the mind. He speaks about the mind here. You see, we have our our mind, our understanding, those things that we take in. And when we come to the word of God, there is a great truth that in our mind we cannot understand what God is saying, naturally speaking. But what happens? The mind's renewed. What I mean by that is the Holy Spirit comes to us. And we, we use this term, he illuminates or he makes clear what the word of God is saying to us. And he teaches us the word of God. And therefore, as he teaches us the word of God, as we bring these principles into our hearts, our minds begin to be transformed. We don't think like the world. Uh, We don't think according to their principles and according to their standards. But the principles of God's word, they transform our minds as we are renewed, as we are shown these things by the Holy Spirit. And when we begin to know the principles of the word of God, we apply them to our lives. And that's very good advice. You apply the principles of the word of God to your life. You meditate on the word and you apply it and you say, Lord, this area of my life, what are you trying to say to me? I think that's the way to know the mind and the will of God. As he applies his word to your heart, because you must always understand this, the Lord will always instruct the mind first before he causes you to move Uh, in your heart what am I trying to say to you I'm saying trying to say to you get into the word of God come before the Lord in prayer ask him to help you to apply his word to your life ask him to help you to understand what he's saying to you as you apply it then you begin to know this is what God's will for my life is we must always step forward upon that basis And if you've left Bible reading aside, uh, if you're not reading the Bible how you should, then how are you ever going to know what God wants for you? You can't know. And how do you know at this point in your life where you're supposed to be? Because you're not in the Word. You're not meditating. You're not letting the Lord teach you and transform you. And you're not letting Him show you the great and wondrous truths of the Gospel. Here is the truth, dear believer. Step forward always knowing the mind of God. Let you, in your life, sorry, know God's voice before you take a step forward. That's the first lesson God wanted Israel to learn. The other lesson he wants them to learn is that there was a a corporate effort needed in this battle. What I mean by this is that the Lord, he, he wanted all who were available to be involved and to go up against Ai. 
In Joshua chapter 7, verse 4, we'll reread that verse. It says, So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. Do you notice there are 3,000 men? And yet we go to Joshua 8, 1, we see what the Lord says. It says, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee. Notice what the Lord says here. He says, I, I will not set out a group of men in proportion to what I think would be acceptable. He does not say, well, you only need 6,000. He says, I want all the men of war. I want everyone who is available to get involved in what is going to happen next. And in God's work and in God's cause, every single believer has their part to play and has their role to be involved in. It's very easy in the church of God and in the battle and in the cause for God's kingdom to step ourselves aside and say, well, I'll set myself aside and I'll just let all uh, the other people do the work. I'll just let the people who always do it, do it. Sure, they do it all the time and I'll just stand back and I'll let them work away. And we can be so disinterested then in the labor of men and women. And yet God says to us this morning as he challenges you, as he challenges me, he says, what role are you playing in the advancement of the gospel and the upholding of the glory of the name of God? What are you doing? Not everybody in the church is called to preach or teach or to be in those roles I tell you, every believer is called to pray. Every believer. Everybody can pray, must pray. We ask ourselves, are we involved in that? Or are we praying for the labors of faithful men and women? Are we praying for the works of the church? Are we involved in such a way? We can all come to the evening service and try and bring people with us. The tendency is now just not to come at all. And if the Lord challenges you, he challenges me again. He says, are we active in that? Are we trying to get people out? Are we trying to reach others? Are we engaged? Are we involved? Are we doing something for the cause of Christ and for the cause of the kingdom? We can get into a habit of coming Sunday by Sunday, and that's as far as we'll take it. And we don't involve ourselves or immerse ourselves in the work of the local church. And there can be all types of reasons why people decide to do that. But I tell you, none of those reasons are acceptable. Because God wants us to be involved. He wants us to be laborers. He wants us to play our part. And that might not be something that is magnificent, as wonderful, sorry, I better say it that way. It's not something in your eyes that's wonderful and you say, well, it's a big role, but it's the role the Lord has given you. He says, do that well. No matter how small and insignificant it may seem, play your part for the cause of the kingdom. I think of the Lord's words in John 9, verse 4. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. The Savior came on a mission. He came with work to do for his father. It was not just a matter that he was just going to come and go to the cross. He had to preach. He had to teach. He had to pray. He had to labor. He had to do all of these things. He says, I must work 
the works of him that sent me. It was a necessity in his mind. I must work. And he says there's going to come a time where there is no more work as far as that's concerned. And there will come a time where the kingdom of God is complete. Where God's kingdom will come out of heaven and will spread through the whole earth. And there will be the new heaven and the new earth. And that time of labor, as far as that's concerned, is over. And there is no more gospel opportunity. There is no more time to labor for the kingdom. And so let that be our necessity. I must work while it is day. While I have the opportunity, the Lord wants you to work. He wants you to pray. He wants you to labor. He wants you to do something for him, for the work of this congregation. One more thing I want you to see in this text We've seen the hindsight that is required. I want you to see the worship that ensues. Verse 30 to 31, we'll go to the end of the chapter, and let's read these words together. It says, Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel on Mount Abel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man hath lift up any iron, and they offered their own burnt offerings unto the Lord, and sacrificed peace offerings. Uh, Israel did this according to the commandment of Moses. Moses had really told them, when you get to Mount Gerizim and Mount Abel, I want you to set yourselves aside and I want you to worship the name of the Lord. And that's what happens uh, here in Joshua chapter 8. Now we see what Moses has said in Deuteronomy eleven twenty nine. he says, And it shall come to pass when the Lord thy God hath brought thee in unto the land, whether thou goest to possess it, that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. And so Moses essentially says, when you get to these mounts, I want you to pronounce a curse and to pronounce a blessing. And we see that fulfilled in verse 34 of Joshua 8. He says, and afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. So Joshua stands up before the people. And he reads to them the law. That is, he reads the divine covenant of God. And he says, if you continue on in the the ways of God, you will know blessing. And he warns them again, if you rebel against the Lord, you will know cursings. And so we see here what happens in Mount Gerizim and Ebal. Uh, We see the people gather, they gather around the Levites, they gather around the Ark of the Covenant, they make sacrifices. You see what's happening here, brethren and sisters, the people of God meet for a service of worship. That's what's happening here. And so do we, when we come to the Lord's house. We come and Christ is the center. And we offer up sacrifices of praise. And worship to the Lord in Jesus' name. And so we come to the house of God with a rejoicing in our hearts. Israel were to meditate upon the blessings of God upon them. And that would lead them then to praise the Lord's name. And when we, re- we meditate in our lives on the mercy and grace of God. When we think of what we have temporally. We have what we need, certainly. When we think about what we have spiritually and how so often in life we sin against the Lord and yet time and time again when we come to him, we confess, we repent. There's pardon time and time again. Endless pardon with God. 
Endless patience, endless mercy, endless grace. And so we come to the house of God this morning with these things in mind. And what do we do? We praise him. We praise him with all of our hearts. We praise him with rejoicing. We come and we offer these sacrifices freely because of all that he's done for us. That ought to be your mindset when you come to the house of God. To praise the Lord's name. To lift up your voice for all that he's done for you. This ought to be your supreme joy and your supreme object in coming to the house of God. It ought to be something that we look forward to. And Israel here did it according to the command of Moses. We do it according to the command of God. To be here this morning, brother or sister, it's a command. Think of what it says in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And so we're not to forsake the public assembly of worship. And God says to us, this is not a biblical option, it's a biblical precept. And he says, when the the doors of the house of God are open, we ought to be here. In fact, we have to be here. And we must be careful not to get into this routine where some Sundays will say, well, this morning I'll just sit at home and I'll watch it online. That is not acceptable. Now, there are some people of God who can't get out. That is true. And there's some who are physically, physically not able to be here. And we pray for them. And we trust they enjoy the online broadcast. I hope they benefit from it. But if God's people can be here, and they're sitting at home and they're watching an online broadcast, that is sinful. And God is not pleased with such an offering unto him. And he will not accept it. If someone is physically able to get to the house of God, they have to be here. And so we come to the word of God and we say, Lord, you've commanded us to come and to rejoice in your name. And you uplift your name in praise and in worship. And all of the wonderful elements are here. The praise, the prayers, the reading of God's word. The preaching of God's word, it's all here. This is all that God requires. This is what he has commanded to be done in the house of God. So we do these things gladly. And we do them with all joy. Verse 35, read that verse. It says, there is not a word of all that Moses commanded. Which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversing among them. You see the gathering here, we have the women, we have the little ones, the strangers, the servants, they were all there. They were in their place. And look what it says, there is not a word of all that Moses commanded which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel. That is, Joshua did not withhold one thing from the word. And I tell you, brethren and sisters, when you come to this house, a faithful man of God, a faithful preacher, he will not withhold one thing from you that the word of God says. I know that. He will not withhold one thing from the counsel of God. He will not seek to hide it from you. He will preach the fullness of the message of the word of God. And that is the supreme blessing of being here this morning. To hear God's message. And to worship him in the way that he has commanded in his word. That's the only way to worship him. 
let me just say that. We can talk about modernism. We can talk about things that we maybe need to bring into the house of God. If God does not command it, it's an abomination in his sight. And when he commands prayer, preaching, praise, that's what he commands. He commands nothing else. And to go further than that is to do more than what God commands. But let us get to this simple truth. We would come with a spirit of praise in our hearts. That we would uplift his name when we consider all of his benefits toward us. That we would rejoice in such a place as this. An open door whereby I can come and I can worship the Lord freely. According to his word. And I know there's a faithful servant will come. And he will preach to me the whole counsel of God. That I may live for the Lord. And I may uplift his name. Do we see that this morning? What a blessing it is to be here. What a blessing it is to have a place of worship. What a blessing it is to praise the Lord freely. It's a blessing that we ought to count before the Lord. It's something that we ought never to take for granted. That we be a people that set ourselves aside. We worship his name. So much of the failure perhaps in our lives can be rooted to this. That we're not doing as we should. And the Lord says, you want to step out in failure. You want to walk the Christian walkway. You want to walk a path of prosperity and blessing. It must start here. You must be a worshiper. You must be a witness. You must be in your place. And you must be a hearer and a doer of the word of God. May the Lord bless his word to all of our hearts this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. And we will ask the Lord now to bless us as we part one from the other. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank thee for the challenge of thy word. Lord, we do confess in our lives so often we can't get away from these basic things. But Lord, I thank thee for the great reminder of thy truth and the great reminder of the privilege and the blessing that it is to be in the house of God. Lord, we thank thee one day that we shall dwell with thee forever, that thy presence will not only be especially in that place of worship, but that it will be with all the people of God everywhere who call upon thy name. So, Father, bless us now, undertake for us. We pray you'll part us with thy fear and with thy mercy, with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Ghost abide. Amen. Amen.